Welcome to the Vital Health Podcast. I'm Jodie Duval and I'm a functional naturopath in Perth, WA. This is a place where you can expand your knowledge on how to optimise your health and realise your full potential. We'll have cutting-edge information with expert guests and having lots of fun along the way. Get ready to be empowered and motivated to reach your higher vitality and find your ultimate potential. Let's go! Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast today where I'm speaking with Naomi Newman. So Naomi is a registered midwife, a childbirth educator and a mother of two beautiful children. So she's based in Perth. Um, She has a background in mental health and has spent a lot of time working in East Africa before becoming a midwife. Um, And now she's an independent midwife and an endorsed home birthing midwife. And she is one of um, my very closest friends, as well as was my midwife. And I wanted to really share with the world about the journey that I went through for both my births and for my second home birth with my uh, little girl. And uh, Naomi was the most amazing support person, Um, her knowledge She's an um, educator at Edith Cowan University. She um, just does an amazing a multi-modal treatment of, of people and, and, and her continuity of care for the, for the women that she supports and knows and spends so much time with. Um, I just wanted to share it with the world. So here we are talking about everything birth and pregnancy. And if you have any other questions, feel free to leave them after the, the podcast and we can do another one to follow up on this. Um, but truly, Naomi really believes that um, how we birth our babies has a huge impact on health and well-being of the woman, the baby and the whole family. So we do talk about all different birthing options the health of your pregnancy, even before getting pregnant. Um, and at the time of the birth, we go through a lot of different aspects of birthing from um, the care options that you have to even placenta and even consuming placenta. So um, there's lots of tips that you can get from this podcast um, and we hope you enjoy. All right. Hi, everyone. Um, I've got Naomi here with me, my, my beautiful midwife, and she is an endorsed midwife. She's a private practice midwife. She is um, a, a shiny light in the, in the sense of midwifery and I absolutely adore her and love her bits and I go to her for anything birth, pregnancy related um, for her opinion on and also to have just a general chit chat because she's a really, really good friend of mine now. So hi Naomi, thank you, thank you for coming on and we've been a little bit um, reluctant on, well, we, it's taken us a while to get to this point. And it's just because so many things have been falling in the place of, of life in general and with kitties and now what's happening recently around the world. But I really wanted to get questioning you about and get some information out there for pregnant women and women who are wanting to become pregnant as well as then for them to know what options there are there because I think a lot of the time there's some limited information that they're given to start with and not even knowing an option is the worst option. So I think we'd just open up the floor and we can just chat about everything. But firstly, tell me a little bit about you so everyone else knows what you're about. Oh, now you've put me on the spot. I thought we were just going to talk about birthing, not about me. <laughs> well, just tell me what you've been up to lately because you're... You, you're when you don't like to be called, but you are sort of an academic. You teach. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so first and foremost, I'm a midwife in private practice. So that's where my heart lies. But I have been involved working for the universities, doing midwifery education, um, facilitating midwifery students and teaching pharmacology and prescribing to midwives um, that are looking at going into private practice. Um, but I've kind of drawn back on all the academic work because particularly at this point in time with the way the world's going there's lots of women that are looking for midwifery led care and there's not that many midwives in private practice so for me probably the biggest thing that's changed recently is I've been predominantly providing home births for women of Perth for probably the last eight or nine years um 
and now I'm able to actually offer hospital births as well with the new model of care, which is giving private midwives admitting rights to King Edward Hospital. So that's pretty exciting. It means that you can hire your own midwife, have all your care at home, go to the hospital with your midwife, have a baby and then come home. Um, back to your house and have your postnatal care in the comfort of your own home. Most women, if they're having a normal, uncomplicated birth in hospital, they're home within four to six hours of baby being born. Um, and that's a really good option for some women who don't feel safe at home or choose, you know, everybody's got to birth where they feel the safest. So for some women, they're much happier and much more comfortable and less stressed about birthing in their own environment, surrounded by their own things, with their own people and their own midwife. Other women, that still doesn't feel like a good option. They're frightened that something might go wrong or they've been told by society that you should actually have your baby in hospital because it's safer, even though the research doesn't actually support that. Um, so it's, it's a good option for women. So now women are having a better, a, a few more choices when it comes to private midwifery, um, which is a good thing. I think. Absolutely. And so um, I had had my first baby, Kai. He was in hospital at King Eddie yep. Family Birthing Centre. And then when I got pregnant with Marley, I literally ran to see Naomi. <laughs> I, was seven me. Weeks, I was seven weeks pregnant. I was like, Kid, I've got you. Let's go. We're at home. Let's do the home birthing thing. And then it was the most magical, best decision of my life. Yeah. So... Yep. Uh, and that's what a lot of people say when they actually do have the home birth. And sometimes women make that choice about not to birth at home for their partner's comfort because yeah. the partner is uncomfortable or has fear around birth and thinks that they're making an unsafe choice. And it's funny because the partners that start off the most anti-home birth, usually as they go along the journey and they get to know the midwife and they have all these really big conversations because you've got, you know, eight or nine months, you don't even have to decide where you're having the baby until on the day, really, because yeah. you can, you know, it can be whatever. And sometimes babies decide for us where we need to have them as well. So we can really want to be at home, but sometimes if baby's got extra risk factors or things change, then we've got that option of being able to go there. But I find that the dads that start out quite nervous about home birth are usually the biggest supporters and biggest fans of home birth when they come out the other side. And they're the ones that do a lot of the education of other dads and around their choices as well. Absolutely. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. And my husband was the same. He was like, oh, no, no, we're not having it at home. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah. We, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, you do remember. Um, but yeah, I think it's something fear related and um, fear is the worst thing to have surrounding birth. And we met originally at the hypnobirthing course, practitioner's course. And yep. that is where it's the, the gold, where it comes out of hypnobirth. And even if someone doesn't want to go and do the hypnobirth in the, itself, it's just the fear surrounding that, which is all those physiological reactions from what happens when you're giving birth that stops the normal birthing process. And I think that's, that's the key. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And that's my fear at the moment with what's happening in the world. There's so much fear and pregnant women are terrified mm. and there's lots of restrictions being placed around support people and, you know, fear and birth are two things you don't want together. You need no. to, it, it interrupts all the hormone cascades as we know. Fear brings us adrenaline, adrenaline knocks out oxytocin, body needs oxytocin to birth our babies. So the yeah. knock-on effect is quite huge. Yeah. There's lots of research about fear and birth. So, yeah. And unfortunately, there's lots of care providers that say the right things, but they actually also have fear around birth. And, you know, they're the women that get told, oh, yeah, I'll support you to have a VBAC or I'll support you to do this. And then at 36 weeks, they start planting the seeds of doubt. Oh, I think your baby's small. I think your baby's big. I think the fluid's too big. I think, you know, this might not be working or maybe we should look at another option. And before you know it, they've gone through the whole pregnancy planning to have this birth and then their care providers all of a sudden at the end gone, mm, nah, we're finding reasons not to support them. Yes. We call it the bait and switch and it's very common. So mm -hmm. unfortunately... And you just have to look at some of the care provider statistics to know that that's exactly what they're doing. Because to be honest, if you're going in through the private system for private obstetrics, you pay a huge amount of money up front before 20 weeks. And often they're 
oh, they get the smile and nod from the obstetrician. Yes, yes, I support VBAC. Yes, yes, I'll support you to have a natural birth. Yes, yes, yes. And then after the payment of the fees done, and then it starts to change. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, well, we'll see how we go. You know, baby will tell us. Or, oh, baby's tracking a bit big. Maybe it's not the best option to have a vaginal birth. Or maybe we need to induce you early. And then all of a sudden... Women are kind of going, hang on, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what you told me. But they're not exactly getting handed a refund of their thousands of dollars so that they can make another choice. So most women end up stuck in a model of care that maybe isn't working for them for financial reasons. Yeah. The biggest thing I hear about people choosing model of care, unfortunately, is, oh, I've got private, so why would I? I've got private insurance, why would I not use it? And then they're going and booking an obstetrician that maybe takes 40 women a month to facilitate their birth, thinking that they're getting continuity of care, but really they're getting 10, 15 minutes appointments during their pregnancy. And then when it actually comes down to the point of actually having their baby, they go into a hospital, they might have a midwife they've never met before, never laid eyes on, doesn't know them from a bar of soap. And you know what? Those midwives, most of them are beautiful. They're there with the right reasons. They're trying to do their best for the women. But we know that you get much better outcomes if you have continuity of care with the same midwife or a known midwife. Your risk of intervention and caesarean and pain relief and neonatal um, neonatal admissions to ICU, everything is decreased with continuity of care. Mm. So, Yeah, oh, absolutely. And not just that, there's so many other factors that even when I went through the process with you, it was just like you picked up on little niggling things that were just stopping me progressing into next stage, even just next stage um, of labour or just getting into labour, you know, like just yeah. little beautiful things that you just went, Jody, like get, get Kai out of the house, like go down to the beach, yeah. have a swim, and then boom, labour was, mm-hmm. and, and next minute we'll have baby. Don't give all my secrets away. I send everyone to the beach when they've got little people at home. <laughs> It's but beautiful. Yes. But, it's beautiful. But that's it's the difference between a midwife that knows you and your family. And yeah. that's probably the biggest thing about continuity of care is your midwife's not just looking after you. We're looking after your husband, your partner, your children that you've already got. Sometimes we're counselling the grandmas and, you know, aunties. You actually get to know most of the family and particularly if those family members are included in the birth. I've had backup midwives ring me as a backup saying, can you come to the birth now? And I'm like, wow, that's really early. And I'm like, are you okay? Yep, but I need you to get grandma out of my hair. She's in everybody's face. She's driving the mother nut. We're not progressing because she's interfering and bringing her fear and stuff. And often I've just gone over and literally taken grandma out into the garden or given her a job of boiling the kettle or refocusing her so that she had a support person so that the woman could get on with just having a baby without having to worry about was her mum okay is her husband okay is the toddler okay do you know what I mean yeah so beautiful so beautiful yeah that's what it's meant to be is with my midwife knowing the family in and out and actually being there amongst it all and being that continual person that 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 whole family can rely upon and there's that trust there's that beautiful no fear absolutely and facilitating a new a new birth, a new person into the world. It's, yeah. it's so cool. All it's right. very, very, very cool. <laughs> um, so we've got, you know, like pregnancy, pre-pregnancy, and I, I don't want to talk too much about it, but it's just to the awareness of the fact that what you do before you get pregnant is really important for your body um, in terms of nutrition yeah. and everything like that. And that's sort of where I focus a lot of my um, treatments yeah. and my clinic. And then in pregnancy, best possible outcome is to know that you're planning to have a baby, yeah. get yourself some good nutritional advice. I mean, I always say to people, because I get quite a few people ringing me before they're pregnant going, oh. how does it work? We know it's really hard to get into, you know, get a private midwife. And I literally say, if you know that you're planning to bring another person into the world, then the best thing you can do is get right on top of new, your nutrition. And if you don't feel like you're able to make a good plan for your nutrition then I always tell them to get themselves a good naturopath mainly you but (laughs) you know I try and encourage them to do preconception care because we know that there's so much misinformation even around that about the difference between folic acid and folate and what supplements to take and women go and buy these 
substandard supplements from mm -hmm. some of the pharmacies, which really, if you look at the ingredient list, they're not, they're not the sort of things that grow great babies, you know? No. So, and they think, oh, I'm taking my prenatal vitamin. I'm making a really good choice here. Well, you know, get some fruit and veggies, get, get yourself to a naturopath, get some individual supplementation sorted out, some good quality supplements. If your diet is not, you know, adequate. I've had quite a few clients that are vegan and have different dietary patterns. And I, I'm not the expert in all that. So I literally say like, you know, most of the people that have um, a good understanding of nutrition don't need a lot of help. And I find that people with vegan and vegetarian diets generally are quite onto what their nutritional requirements are. Yeah. But, you know, People go, oh, birth isn't safe. Well, birth in Australia, we have good sanitation. We have access to beautiful fresh fruits and vegetables and good quality nutrition. There's not really any reason why that is the best thing you can do to have a safe birth and a safe pregnancy is nutrition is key. Yeah. And giving your body exactly what it needs. We're designed to have babies. And that's why I keep on reminding yeah. all my clients and all my, even my students, like we're designed to have babies. Why, why would there be an issue there? Why would there be pain? Why would there be an inability for us to actually birth our babies correctly? We're, we're designed exactly. this way. We're, we're meant we to give in babies' um, life. Yeah. So, um, that's well, especially if we listen to our bodies as well. And we, you know, a lot of the complications of pregnancy are actually related to diet, diet mm. and nutrition. Mm. Um, and inflammation in the body so people you know you're not going to have a great healthy pregnancy if you're eating you know maccas and drinking coke and you know eating processed foods and not getting fresh fruit and vegetables the latest that we're seeing is lots of women with low vitamin d because everyone's wearing sunscreen every time they go outside they're limiting exposure to the sun which you know there's that balance isn't there mm. oh yeah absolutely get your belly out in the sun when you're pregnant <laughs> Yeah, best time. And then throughout pregnancy, it's really important to keep key nutrients coming in. And obviously, you can get over hurdles like the initial morning sickness and things like that. That's really important to yeah. do that properly and just listening to your body constantly and, and researching that. But time out, time for relaxation is, I think, really important in pregnancy. Um, and making yeah. sure that you're on track, obviously. And this is where that continuity of care through someone like. Um, a red a home birth midwife or a midwife that you trust, I think, is super important. Yeah, yeah. So it can even be a G. If you've got a fantastic GP, you can have continuity of care with your GP. You just can't yeah. have yeah. continuity of birthing with your GP because most GPs don't have admitting rights to support women in labour. It's not something that you know is still part of their scope of practice like it used to be yeah. but i think the key is if you've got a good healthcare provider that you can have continuity of care with then that's half the battle mm. ultimately midwives are your experts in normal pregnancies so they're the ones that you'd want to go to but mm. not everybody can find a midwife unfortunately no no um and exercise and things like that you know like when i was pregnant even right up to the end i was still exercising quite a lot at the capacity that i knew i could handle and it's depending on what people are obviously doing before that um but you know water sports and water but like walking work, working out sort of in water i remember joining all the oldies in the pool that was fun this time of the year, you can't do it because everything's being cut out at the moment but um that i think exercise is important too keeping the body active moving um and just being fit for birth because birthing yeah. is a process. Well, we always tell our, I always tell my clients that birthing is like preparing for a marathon. You don't yeah. go into it unfit, unhealthy, with poor nutrition. The better health state that you're in, the more active you are. There's lots of amazing prenatal yoga programs now that you can find. I mean, yoga is such a good thing for pregnant women because of the mindfulness can be used. You can take the techniques that you learn in mindfulness into the birth with you to reduce your fear, therefore increase your nice physiological birth process. So I, I always tell women, to, to, you know, if you listen to your body, you'll hear a lot of health professionals saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that while you're pregnant. And, yes, there are things that you do have to be aware of. We have more relaxing hormones and things which can make overstretching a lot more a lot easier in pregnancy than normal and you know you don't want to be pumping yourself till you're like exhausted and overheating but you know sensible exercise and yoga and walking 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 so good for babies and for mums so mm, absolutely and lots of but i'm like, saying that I've got, 
I've got women that are still doing CrossFit 35 <laughs> weeks. I take my hat off to them because I can't make myself do CrossFit. And when I'm not pregnant, you're alone. When I was 35 weeks pregnant, there was no way I was doing CrossFit. But you know what? Each woman needs to do what feels right for her Absolutely. and for her body. Yeah. I did lots of yoga. I think I was doing lots of Pilates at the time for both of mine and also just lots of leg strength. And I was doing belly dancing. I loved belly yeah. dancing. Yeah. Yeah, I think the birth lady's still offering her belly dancing classes. Rachel, she Rachel. was doing some amazing. Yeah, Rachel, Rachel Altman was called the birth lady and she was doing lots of pregnancy belly dancing classes and stuff. I haven't actually checked in with her to see where she's up to now, but I guess everything's kind of going a bit crazy at the moment with classwork and courses so yeah yeah online belly dancing but yeah active <laughs> movement through birth I think that was like key for me to actually um just move and 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 process different parts of emotions feelings through different parts of my body while I was in the labor process so I think practicing that is key beforehand so you're just doing it absolutely in the animal brain almost yeah. yeah, which is where you want to be when you're birthing your baby. You don't want to be sitting there trying to remember what you learned at the yoga class or what, what did they say at the act of birth class about this position? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's got to become second nature so that you can just sink in, go in, listen to your body and follow what it's telling you to do. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so going through all that just really briefly, but now into the actual birthing. Now I wanted to talk through some options that women have in terms of um, how they birth, where they can birth, um, what they can do during birthing. And this could be anything from, um, you know, I know a lot of people use sound healing, um, a lot of different parts of their, um, uh, you know, like massage, water births, everything. Talk me through some of those options that you've seen, you know, and what you would be talking to women about. I know that's oh, a lot really? of big. That, that's a huge, yeah. that's like a three-hour conversation, but really. <laughs> we can do more. People though. can birth wherever and however they want. Yeah, <laughs> it's my usual in the field, on a tree. Um, but I guess if we look at, okay, break that down for me. What was the first question was where can they birth? So yeah, I guess, where, where can we look at birth? Obviously, we've got home and hospital. What other options? And, got, and in, within, those field, within those environments, what have we got? Okay, so let's start with home birth is, there's a couple of options. You've got the government funded um, home birth program, which is called yep. Community Midwifery Program, mm -hmm. which offers us, well, they try and offer continuity of care. Obviously, it's um, because it's rostered and staffing. I think they try and make it that you see one midwife for your appointments. I think your appointments are now done in their clinic or their office, but that might have changed in the last few weeks or a few days with everything else that seems to be changing and then they allocate you either one midwife or I think you get to know a couple of the midwives on the team and then the there is you can either have your baby at home with those midwives if you meet the criteria that um, has been set out by King Edward because it's a program run through the health department um, or you can choose to have that midwife come into hospital with you and have a baby with them there that's one model of care. Then you've got so a lot of the hospitals now are offering what they're called MGP, which is midwifery group practice. So that's where you'll, your GP will often send your referral to the hospital. If you're lucky, you'll get allocated to an MGP program where it generally seems to be working on team midwives. So they'll have certain midwives assigned to look after you. So that the, the, the best case scenario is you'll get the same midwife for all your antenatal care. When you go into labour, that midwife or one of the midwives in your team that you've already met will look after you in hospital to help you birth your baby and then you'll get discharged home. I think they do the usual um, five days postnatal care with the visiting midwifery service um, after baby's born. So that's your second model of care. Um, your ordinary model is just going straight to the hospital. You go to your GP, they'll send a referral to the public hospital and you'll be seeing an antenatal clinic where you might see a different midwife every time you go. And then you'll just, when you go into labour, you'll just phone the hospital, they'll tell you to come in. You'll go into hospital, you'll be allocated whoever's on shift as a midwife, you'll have your baby and then, you know, they try and get you home within 24 to 48 hours for a normal birth or up to four days for a Caesar. Again, don't quote me on that. That all's all getting changed around with the COVID-19 and the coronavirus stuff that's happening in the moment. So that's your two models. You've got your private obstetrician, which is a model that some women are 
know about and that's the same you go to see your obstetrician for all your appointments generally you'll go in and see their own midwife and they'll do all your blood pressure and bits and pieces you'll have a 10 to 15 minute appointment with your obstetrician and then on the day that you're going to labor again you'll just go up to the hospital you'll be given whoever whichever midwives are on duty at the time you'll have your baby and then you'll be discharged home never to be seen again by an obstetrician until six weeks when they just want to check up everything's fine um what other models are there gp shared care so if you've got a good gp that you really like they can continue to provide your antenatal care and then you just literally go to the hospital of your choice usually a public hospital if you're going through a gp have your baby and then go home there's another model which is becoming a bit more popular and it's quite new it's been probably only another out in the last couple of years and that's there's some privately practicing midwives who don't offer birth care but they will do antenatal and postnatal care for you so that's a good option for women they can get medicare rebatable care a lot of these midwives are working in gp clinics it's just a matter of finding them and you can go and have all your antenatal appointments with one midwife and then you go to the hospital that you're so hospitals are based on catchment areas so if you're in the northern suburbs you'd be joondal up if you're eastern suburbs it might be midland or it might be armadale or fiona stamp depending on where you live and what postcode you're in at what hospital you get allocated to so these midwives are there's clinics all over perth now and you can literally go and see the same midwife for all your appointments go to the hospital have your baby and then a lot of these midwives are actually offering postnatal at home visits um, because they can give you medicare rebates for that so for women that are choosing that option i always encourage them to link in with some of the programs through the university where they have a doctor student midwife um, and that is a good program that edith cowan run called mams which is midwives adopt uh, mothers adopting midwifery students and you can email the uni and they'll allocate you a student. The student will come with you to some of your antenatal appointments and get to know you. And then on the day, if you're happy, they can come with you for the birth and be that extra person um, to support you through having a baby. And then they see you postnatally as well. So it's kind of a bit of a cheap way to get a bit of continuity care. And it also is good for our student midwives because then they get the experience of being with women um, and seeing that process of continuity of care as opposed to the fragmented care that they often complain about having to give in the system where they don't get to meet the women antenatally or they get to eat them antenatally, they don't get to see them but You know, it's all that different people providing different aspects of their care. Yeah. So apart yeah. from that, then there's really the only other option is your private midwives, which there's four of us in Perth that offer... Um, hospital birth and have admitting rights so there's a bit of confusion around admitting rights because people have thought that midwives in private practice have had admitting rights for a while but it actually has only come in in August last year prior to that some private midwives were able to offer private care to women in their home and then when they went to birth at hospital the hospitals had an arrangement that these midwives could have casual contracts to look after the women in labor um, a few of us refuse to do that because it's still basically at the end of the day that model of care you were still as a midwife employed by the health system so you were obliged to follow their policies their procedures because you were working under their insurance whereas now with admitting rights as private midwives the ones that have credentialing at king edwards they are completely autonomous practitioners you go in with your midwife your midwife is your lead carer the basically we do home birth in hospital really we don't have to follow the policies if you if if they don't feel right for you there's no you must do this you must do that it's all about the woman choosing what her options are and making decisions around her care um, and then your midwife can always if if need be they we involve the doctors if it's if it's appropriate they will do consultation and collaboration with the midwife to provide the care you need so some women might choose to have an elective cesarean for the birth of their baby and that means that they can still have their midwife that can do all their prenatal care can be with them in theater for the birth and then get them home sooner and look after them and provide postnatal care at home as well and that's all under our own insurance so it's a bit bit of a game changer really that's amazing I can't believe that, um, yeah it also means that the 
Yeah, it also means that the midwives that have admitting rights, if you do book for a home birth and you decide, you know, the risk factors change or the, you know, on the day you need to transfer in for any reason, you don't all of a sudden lose your midwife and end up thrown back into a system with people you don't know. Your midwife is still your lead maternity carer until such time as you change plans. So Yeah, which is perfect because that was one of the major factors I guess for everyone um, you know prior to that time was not worrying but concerned about the fact that they could lose their midwife once they get through those hospital doors yeah well in the past it basically meant that if we transferred in we would literally have to hand clinical care over to the hospital and become a doula or a support person and then we were at the mercy of the hospital whether they'd choose to acknowledge the relationship that was there we had heartbreaking times where we'd had clients that have gone in for a cesarean and as a private midwife they would refuse us entry to theatre so you've spent nine months with this family mm-hmm. and preparing them for the birth and then when they most needed their midwife when their plan had changed they were said no nah, you can't and they're in theatre with a face full of strangers going through what can be completely terrifying for some women without their midwife you know so it's a really good model of care now obviously there's I think there's about, I want to guess, I think there's about eight midwives or maybe nine private midwives in Perth that I know of that are providing home birth. So, again, there's not, the numbers are limited, to be honest. There's a lot, there seems to be a lot more inquiries than there is midwives for women wanting births. Yeah, yeah, okay. Good to know. But so when it comes to the actual birth, having a birth plan, is that something you recommend women? Absolutely. Your birth plan is not about I'm going to do this, this and this. Your birth plan is about educating yourself around all the choices because when you start actually doing your birth plan, you'll be like, oh, do I want to birth in water? Do I want to birth on land? Do I want to have a TENS machine? Do I want to have acupuncture? Do you know what I mean? There's so many different things. Do I want delayed cord clamping? What positions do I want to be in? Do I want constant monitoring? Do I want intermittent monitoring? There's... Seven million different. It's like a buffet of choices. And the beauty of a birth plan, I I always say to women, doing your birth plan is like writing your wish list. But it's also about educating yourself about all the choices that you have. And your midwife should go through them with you during the journey of pregnancy. You'd know. How many conversations did we have about all the different choices? Each visit comes up with something new and we talk about it and then we'll go, right, we'll come back to that. And by the time we get to the end of that pregnancy, women know their choices and therefore have a good understanding of how the process will work, what the choices mean for them and for their baby. And, you know, I always say birth plans are you've you've got to be prepared to, like, everything go with the flow. Sometimes you can have the best written birth plan and the universe has another plan for you or the baby doesn't agree with you or the baby's in a weird position or, you know, something changes and therefore you have to be open to like adapting your plan now if you just copy someone's birth plan off the internet which unfortunately I think a lot of women do then when the plan changes you haven't done that education you haven't made those decisions you don't actually understand what's behind that then how are you going to adapt your choices when you need to you know and I think with midwifery it's really and birth it's really about women owning their choices knowing all their choices and then knowing what they want to do and what works best for them and their baby and their family Mm, absolutely um and you write this down and you write it down but also the midwife knows everyone else knows husband knows partner knows you know whatever you kids can know want kids there don't want kids there you know everything comes into play with that and what you want partner to do touch me not touch me (laughs) it can be (laughs) absolutely and and women often they don't know what they're going to need on the day like Mm -hmm. nobody actually knows what you're going to be like on the day some women are like oh i'm gonna get my partner to massage me and i'm gonna have my oils on and then on the day partner goes to massage and they're like get away don't touch me i don't want anybody do you know what i mean it's it's every time that someone goes into labour, it's a new journey. You've never yeah. done it. And even if you have done it before, 
what worked for you in your last flavor might not work for you in this flavor. So it's really important to have an idea of all the things that you can use. All, I, I call it a toolbox for labor. So you might do your hypnobirthing, you might have your massage balls, you might have your TENS machine, you might have your, your blow-up pool or your water birth pool or... And you're going to just do what feels right at the time. So you might start going, oh, this TENS machine's the best thing ever. And then halfway through, you're like, actually, it's doing rubbish. I don't want that. What can I use next? What's my next bit to use? Is it the shower? Is it, you know, massage? Is it movement? Whatever. So I, I always recommend hypnobirthing because I think the mindfulness and the education and the fear release stuff is really important. But I'm saying that, you know, everybody's got to find what works for them Put it in your toolbox, that's what I say. Just put everything in a toolbox and then you can pull out what you've got. Yeah. And a good midwife will help you anyhow, you know, when you don't know what you're doing or you feel like you, you've hit that wall where you don't know what else to do. That's where your midwife will give you that extra support and go, maybe you should try this or maybe we can try that. And because they know you, if they're your continuity of care midwife, they know what's going to work for you. They know what to suggest. They know when to get a bit you know, firm with you and say, come on, we can do this. And then they know when you need them just to give you a hug and go, actually, you're doing amazing. This is all okay. Have a good cry. It's fine. We're going to be fine. You know, you're safe. You're well. Everything's okay, you know? Yeah. It's a huge emotional journey. And just um, mm. yeah, bringing back all the memories now, I remember having <laughs> you and you're just like, don't let it out. Just, just let it out. Like, come on, what was yeah. what's bothering you? Come on, just get through that shit. Let's go through it. And then in the actual birth, you're just like, no, like, let's go. Let's do it. Come on. Get yeah. your Get on with it. You've got this. Yeah. Got this. Well, it's one of those things that we've got an old saying is, and, and when I was doing my apprenticeship for, as a home birth midwife, one of my mentors used to say to me, the more cups of tea you drink antenatally, the less you need to do in labour. Yeah. And it's so true because there's so much hidden work that we don't talk about people think your midwife's just popping in to do your fetal heart and have a feel of the baby and check your blood pressure but really we're doing all that transform transformative work we're, we're helping you work that journey everybody's got stuff that always comes up and when you're having a baby it's quite transformative so a lot of stuff that you think eh, didn't even bother me it's going to come out it's going to come out in labor or when you're pregnant and it's perfect yeah it is. It is all beautifully perfect. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm forever indebted of you because you really made that experience something um, massively, um, overwhelmingly beautiful. So that's why con constantly um, thank you all the time. <laughs> uh, I wish every. Uh, thank you, but I wish every woman could have that journey. I just I wish so. we'd wake up and realize that the system is not supportive of that journey it's based on a medical model and a model of risk and insurance and yeah. yeah and a lot of women miss this amazing opportunity to do this and imagine if we had all these empowered women that come through birth going i am woman hear me roar i've just yeah. rocked this out imagine yeah. how strong we would be as a society of women if oh. we actually believed in ourselves and knew how amazing we are mm. Oh, absolutely. And I must I must mention here that you, you also take the midwives from ECU over on, on little tours. Yeah. Yes, until coronavirus decided yeah. to stop me. I've been taking student midwives to Africa for about the last four years to yeah. Tanzania. And that that's an amazing journey as well, watching student midwives go from working in our systems which are fully resourced and every machine that goes bing to hospitals that are having 90 babies a day that have no resources. Often you can't even find a, a, a fetoscope to have a listen to the baby. You know, there's so much more complications with these women because of poor nutrition. They don't have the access to the nutrition we have. So there are a lot higher risks for complications in birth and bleeding post-birth. And watching these students literally get there the first day and their jaws are on the draw on the ground going, what? And also that that being a student midwife, they're kind of constantly second guessing themselves anyhow. They think that that, you know, they're always like, oh, well, maybe that didn't happen, or maybe I just didn't understand why that happened. Mm. Whereas once you get them at the back of that prac, they're like, Oh yeah, I've got this. I know. I know my clinical skills are good, and yeah, they just you're birthing amazing midwives. That's what I reckon. 
Oh, I've got to get them through this silly policy of having to spend three years working in the hospitals before they can come into private practice, which is, I don't know, I understand the rationale between having midwives with a good level of experience, but I'm not sure that three years working in a maternity hospital is giving them the kind of experience that they need to come into private practice. A lot of them are being filled with fear, to be honest. And I was very lucky when I did my training. I've actually never worked, apart from when I was doing my training as a midwife, I've never worked in a hospital in the role as a midwife. I've worked as a facilitator for students and things like that, but never actually as a hospital midwife because I'm not very good with policies and rules. I get a bit cranky about them, to be honest. And the, to, to give true holistic care, you can't follow a policy. You have to put all of the bits of information together and work out what that what is best for that woman. So, yes. yeah, so I'd like to see them change that regulation where they have to do such long hours because I'd be quite happy to, you know, I've got a couple of midwives that are working in the system at the moment that are coming out as apprentices with me and working with me to do antenatal care and coming to birth as my second midwife so they have that exposure to how, you know, physiological birth. Some of these girls working in the system have never seen a physiological birth. Like a proper They've only ever seen a birth that's either been induced, augmented, um, an active third stage where they're given medication to manage the placenta and all this. That they've never actually seen a woman just get in, go into labour, have a baby, birth a placenta, and then snuggle up and breastfeed their baby with nobody even actually touching them or the baby. Mm, absolutely. All right. Well, that's a good segue into. I wanted to, so we touched on cord. We touched on delayed cord camping before. I want to talk now. Babies come. You know, apart from. I remember this very, very well, but Molly's head coming through and you're like, hold it, hold it. And I was like, okay, no, I'm not. Oh, what, what, what do you, what, what do you mean? Hold it right there. I just let it open, let it open. No, you know, that's the no tearing part. So then baby comes yeah. through and we're birthing placenta. Can we explain that? And then delayed cord clamping, like sort of a bit of rationale around that. Okay. So a lot of women particularly when they're having a first baby, they have to push. Like we, we say, oh, you know, there's lots of lovely people that say, oh, you can just breathe your baby out. And you know what? Sometimes you can, but sometimes you actually need to push your baby out. Mm. So the problem you've got is when people are pushing their baby out and when the head starts to crown, you really don't want to be pushing because you want that baby's head to be sitting on the tissue because that's what stretches it all up. And it's horrible. You'll remember it. It's intense. You feel like you've got a ring of fire. You've got a bowling ball coming out of your vagina. And someone's going, don't push. And you're looking at them like, are you insane? Like, I just want to get this thing out. But it's really, really important that you listen and that you slow that down and you breathe. Because once the baby's there, it's going to come out without you putting too much effort in. And if you push really hard at that stage, that's when you end up with perineal tears. So... By not letting the baby sit there and stretch all the tissue, you're more likely to have a tear, which is more likely to cause trauma down the track. I mean, to be honest, most tears are minor and mm -hmm. they heal quite well on their own, yeah. but then you know, there are degrees of tears as well. So, so that's the rationale for not pushing at that stage is just let the baby stretch, let the baby come out. Once the baby's born, we try and get, put the baby straight onto mum and we call that skin to skin. So as soon as that baby's on mum, we're just going to basically be watching that baby. So when we talk about delayed cord clamping, is often in hospitals and in medical um, births, they try and, as soon as the baby's out, they want to clamp and cut the cord and then they want to give you an injection into your thigh of a oxytocin, which causes the uterus to contract so that the placenta comes out quickly. Mm -hmm. And then they literally will hold on to your bits and pull the cord out and pull the placenta out and then the birth's done as far as that health person's called. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some women that active birth, which is where what I'm talking about, where they active management of the placenta, which is where they give an oxytosis and they get the placenta out quickly. There are some women that that is appropriate. If you're bleeding quite heavily, then obviously the placenta needs to be delivered so that the uterus can clamp down and stop the bleeding. So 
For most women, though, if it's a normal physiological labour and you haven't had any, you haven't been induced and given an artificial oxytocin to keep the labour going, then a physiological management would be literally what we prefer to do at home, which is the baby's born, baby comes onto mum's chest, the midwife will be looking to make sure there's no bleeding or any concerns, and that baby, while they're still on your chest, is still getting exactly the nutrients and the oxygen that it was getting when it was inside of you because it's still getting all that blood from the placenta is still carrying so when baby's born they have to transition from the the uh, the physiology of being inside where they're getting all their nutrients and oxygen through that cord to when they come out and then they start taking a breath and then that there's there's a whole heap of physiological changes that happen in the baby from hearts in um, holes in hearts that close over to reverse circulation. It's too deep to go into for one podcast, but basically, while your baby's on your chest, you've got a couple of benefits. Baby's getting all that blood from the placenta. So, delayed cord clamping means we're not cutting that cord while it's still pulsing. So, when babies are born, that cord can pulse for up to 40, 40 minutes with some babies. Some babies are really efficient and like you'll look and the cord will have gone flat and white and floppy and you'll be like, right, that's not pulsing. There's no blood flow from that placenta to that baby. So therefore there's no benefit, you know, necessarily to keeping that baby attached. For me, I believe that you best, I, d- I try not to ever cut a cord. I always try and make it that the baby, even if it's flat and white and floppy, I try and make sure the placenta's been birthed before we... Um, worry about you know taking baby off their placenta some people do what we call a lotus birth which is they carry the placenta around they salt it and put some herbs in and they actually have a little bag and they carry the placenta around still attached to the baby for a few days until the cord separates itself mm-hmm. that's um yeah that's that's a different kind of thing again but I do say to women that are birthing in hospital if you want delayed cord clamping and you're not sure that your care provider is going to support it then I suggest you tell them you're having a lotus birth and yeah. that way you can always change your mind Boom, 10 minutes after the placenta that you go actually I don't want a lotus birth anymore I'd like to cut the cord but it's a bit protective so the the benefits for baby are the iron studies on babies showing that they've had delayed cord clamping or a physiological birth show that they've got better iron stores and a better start to life less likely to be jaundiced you'll hear a lot of healthcare professionals that go oh no babies that get too much blood from the cord always get jaundiced but it's actually the research doesn't support that and it kind of pisses me off that we have to ask for delayed cord clamping um, because all the evidence shows that leaving the cord intact is the best thing for babies and we're not interrupting the physiology of what would normally happen for every other mammal on the planet. Nobody cuts their cord the minute they come out, but the cord finishes, then the mum will sort it out. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately with our system, the way it's gone, you know, medicals have introduced a lot of routine practices that were brought in without evidence based, and now we're having to use evidence to prove why they're wrong instead of people going, well, actually, anybody with an understanding of physiology would know that Mother Nature didn't get it wrong. Our bodies are not designed badly. There's no reason for us to do routine things to make that placenta birth quicker. Mm. And to be honest, most of the reason for giving active management to get the placenta out quick, it's actually usually not about the mum. It's usually about once that placenta's out, that birth is considered finished for that health professional. And that if you've got an obstetrician or a doctor or somebody that's, you know, looking after lots of women, that allows them to, oh, right, good, that's done. I can go to the next room and do the next person. Do you know what I mean? It gets you out of labour ward quicker. You Because, you know, most times with a physiological third stage, we can wait for up to an hour, sometimes two hours for a placenta to deliver. And as long as mum's not bleeding, we're not going to rush it, you know? No, no, it's like birthing a second baby in a way. <coughs> yeah. You can get onto a birth, um, like placenta. You can get into a squat. You can get into a different position. Yeah. Blow on a bottle, do a cough. There's so many tricks and tips. Mm -hmm. But to be perfectly honest, usually when women stand up, if you've been waiting for a placenta for a while, particularly if you're in the birth pool, just the act of getting the woman to stand up and lift a leg over the birth pool, you better get ready to catch that placenta because nine times out of ten, it's just actually sitting there separated, ready to come out. But sometimes that sensation of what you're doing after you've had a baby, you're a bit out of it and, you know, you don't really understand that that placenta might just be sitting there waiting for you to birth it yeah yeah well, my, i think mine came out pretty quick and then um, yeah 
kind of over and then little Kai got to cut it after a little while, which was nice. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's cool, isn't it? It's nice to include the siblings and the family and there's no rush, you know, that's the thing. There is no rush to cut a cord and a placenta and there's no reason it can't be a sibling or a dad or... I don't, I don't remember the last time I actually cut a cord myself. <laughs> to be honest, I usually make family members do it. Yeah. Um, so after that, then the placenta, um, and I mentioned this in class to my students the other day, and they looked at me like I was, I was. Um, oh dear. Yeah. Um, and I said to them, "Well, yeah, for both of my births, I, I um, consumed the placenta. So um, that's something that women, some women choose to do. There's multiple ways of doing that. I know you can dry it, you can capsulate it." And just like what you did for me, just cut bits up and then put it in some um, cling wrap and then put it in the freezer and yep. like bits of that. You can shave parts of it off. You can do whatever you want. Put um, it in a smoothie. It's, it's one of those things. If you look for actual evidence between for eating placentas, you're not going to find much scientific evidence, mm -hmm. but you are going to find a lot of anecdotal stories from women saying that, you know, they did it for one pregnancy and they didn't do it for the other pregnancy and they felt that their recovery, their iron levels, their hormone levels and mood was better when they did encapsulate or consume it raw. Yeah. Um, it, it's really one of those personal things like there's lots of places out there that you can pay people and they'll come and pick up your placenta They'll take it away, they'll steam it, dehydrate it, mix it with herbs. I don't actually know what they entirely do with it. There's a few different methods. There's a raw and then there's a Chinese method, I think they call it. I'm not, I'm not the expert on that because, to be honest, most of my women, I will literally just cut it up for them into small... When it's fresh, I'll take the fresh placenta, cut it into small pillule-sized pieces yeah. And then literally put them in the freezer and then tell women that to take a piece of placenta with a cold glass of water while it's still frozen. Most women don't taste it. Even my vegetarian clients can usually tolerate that quite easily. Um, and then I've got other clients that go, there's no way I'm eating my placenta. I'm not interested. And in which case we'll often just say, you know, maybe do a nice ceremony. And I, I always believe returning it back to the earth or buying a nice plant or a fruit tree or you know something to commemorate that baby you can do something like that some some cultures it's really frowned upon that you you don't eat it that you have to return the placenta to the earth um and others are like yeah no i don't want to do any of that just get rid of it <laughs> and in which case it usually ends up in a rose garden somewhere if, you, if i'm honest <laughs> I've had clients that I've literally walked in and they've been frying it up with liver. They've been frying up their placenta with onions and garlic. And you know what? Each to their own. That's a really personal thing for me. I don't really understand consuming it if you're cooking it because my yeah. feeling is that the actual benefits that you're getting it's in theory the from eating it is from the raw. Yeah. But I agree. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Reading I've done, and even the anecdotal research behind postnatal depression, I find really interesting. Um, reading some of yeah. those articles and stories from women, um, and there is, I think, there is quite a lot of anecdotal research or anecdotal yeah. story, should I say, on postnatal depression, and I find that is something that women, I think, should know about at least. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's it is. And anecdotally, it has shown to be preventative, but to be perfectly honest, the best prevention for postnatal depression is having a good birth where you're heard and you're respected and you're supported in your choices. Because even women that have births that don't go to the original plan, if they've felt heard and supported and not dismissed and terrified, then they tend to have a better they have less anxiety and depression postnatally if, if they have a good birth. I honestly believe that birth trauma is probably your biggest risk for postnatal depression. I'm sure there's the nutrition side of it and the support side of it. Yeah, yeah. But from my experience, women that have trauma, and it, trauma is one of those things that it can look really different to different people. You can look on the outside and go, oh, that looked like an amazing birth. But if that woman has felt terror or unheard or unsupported and not listened to she's the woman yeah. that is most likely to get depression and the thing with birth trauma is birth trauma is so personal the only person that can say it was trauma was the woman that it happened to yeah. you know so we can't judge it from the outside so i think there's big gaps in perinatal um, mental health 
and a lot of it is you know unfortunately i think we're breaking women by the system that we've got where they're being pushed through a conveyor belt maternity system where they're not listened to they're not heard and then they go into hospital all of a sudden everything's going fine next thing you know something changes they hit a bell on the wall 10 medical people walk in the woman becomes invisible the medical practitioners focus on saving the baby or doing what they need to do for that baby and then the baby comes out fine and they go oh here you go we saved you and then they walk out the door and that woman's left going what actually happened there mm -hmm. and a lot of women say and and i can tell you personally from my experience because i had two very medicalized births and they are the reason i am the midwife i am today because i wasn't a midwife when i had my babies and i went through the private health system with an obstetrician because that's I didn't actually know about midwives. I didn't know there was such thing as midwifery care. Um, my people around me, I only had maybe, I think, one friend that was in, the, in my social circle that had had a baby and she'd gone to the private hospital and got the obstetrician. And I remember ringing her going, I'm pregnant. She's like, great, get yourself an obstetrician. And I was like, okay. Right. I didn't know what I was doing. And I literally just rang and booked the first one that had space. So I didn't even think to find out what their stats were, whether their philosophy of care was. I went through that whole system. My last birth was generally, I will call it a shit show. <laughs> My first one, it was an induction at 37 weeks and she was ready. She's fine. I was literally one of those lucky women. I had an induction, started at seven o'clock in the morning. By one o'clock, I had a really healthy, beautiful little girl in my arms. And I was like, nah, okay, that was all right. The second one was a lot more tricky. I ended up in theatre, prepped for a caesarean, although they ended up doing a vacuum because he was what they call a transverse arrest. And it's where the baby goes from posterior. They try and turn to come out anteriorly, but they get stuck halfway. So they were able to use a vacuum to bring my second boy out. Um, but, you know, it was all mad panic, going to theatre, baby's crashing, you're crashing, this is really bad. And I thought he was going to die. And I thought I was going to die. As it was, obviously, that didn't happen. And it, and it did. It took me a long, long time. And I'd say 10 years to process that last birth. And I think, I, you know, initially I had lots of anger towards it, especially as I did my midwifery journey, because I went back to the same hospital that I had my baby to do my mid training so every day I was confronted with that model of care and what they were doing to women and I literally came out the other end and went right okay I'm not going to be that midwife I'm not going to play with that system and my and I'm glad I can look back now and go the reason I am the midwife I am was because of that journey yeah. and hopefully I did that so other women don't have to do that journey but yeah. I will always you know, I, I just think how we birth our babies is so important. And if people actually realised the long-term implications for birth, they would spend way more, way more time researching their birth than they do researching their pram or their car seat or spending thousands of dollars on a wedding and a photographer for the wedding. They would be, you know, using that to get the best possible birth outcome that they can get. Yeah. because the knock-on effect for their health and their baby's health and their family's health is huge, huge. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And that's where my passion yeah. lies and your passion lies and that's why you're yeah. so good at the job and you're such an amazing midwife. And I think women need to know this, and this is why I was so anxious to get this sort of out there, more so yeah. people who I can go look, go and listen to this because of the fact that, you know, this is what you need to know. These are really important factors in your health and yeah. your in life with your child with your partner with whatever absolutely um, one, one point and that's even more 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 important than your wedding you know it's huge totally what's the worst thing that happens if you don't get your wedding right you get a shit cake and some shit photos but you still get your husband and you're still probably going to both be alive and happy and healthy and and move on and have a great life together yeah. if you don't get the birth from you get you know the the, the implications are huge as yeah. we know and I think it's good for women to know that, like, you know, even if they don't want a home birth, ring, ring your private. When if you get pregnant, ring your midwives, find your midwives, find out your choices. Because the choices of what models of care are changing all the time. And there's a big push at the moment through Medicare to get further rebates available. So what women don't realise is private midwives can give you Medicare rebates for antenatal and postnatal care. If you're having a baby in hospital with your private midwife, there's a Medicare rebate available. 
at the moment there's a big petition to try and get that rebate made available to women birthing at home with a midwife because unfortunately there is no Medicare rebate for birthing at home with mm. a private midwife for mm. the labour part of your care. Um, so there's lots of stuff happening. So it changes all the time. So we've got a clinic in East Fremantle, which until recently we've been doing weekly drop-in sessions where women can just pop in and ask questions. Obviously, with everything that's going on in the world with social distancing, we're not actually running clinics at the moment, but find our numbers. We're on the website. Google private midwives. Look at some of the um, independent midwives. Ring them. We'll always give you your options. Yeah. You know, we're not about... Also, if you ring a midwife, we're not going to say, right, we're going to book you on the phone. We'll really encourage you to meet the midwives that are around yeah. and find the one that resonates with you because if you, you've got to click with your midwife, they've got to be the right midwife. And I'm not the right midwife for everybody. I'm not everybody's cup of tea, mainly because I drink coffee. But, you know, there's got, you've got to find that person that you click with. And particularly at the moment, the way things are going in the world, I feel like there's so much panic and people are going, I just want to book you because I just, I, I don't want to go to hospital. Well, I'm still going to say I need to meet you. And I'm still going to try and make, because there has to be a relationship there and there has to be someone that you click with and that you have the same philosophy with. Yeah. They yeah. got to you in the most intimate way that you've ever been portrayed. Absolutely. They have to be someone yeah. with. Absolutely. Because if you don't like your midwife or you don't click with your midwife, then you're not going to establish the trust. And this is often a question I often get asked about private midwifery is, if I book you at 30 weeks, do I have to pay the full fee? Because most of the private midwives have a set fee. Um, and offer payment plans and stuff. And a lot of women have been going, well, if I just do my antenatal through somebody else and then I book you at 30 weeks, do I have to pay the same fee? And unfortunately for what I say to those women is if you're trying to book me at 30 weeks, you've left it too late. Unless there's really exceptional circumstances, I don't offer fragmented care. I offer continuity of care. So women... Most of my women book in literally as soon as they're pregnant. They ring and go, I, you know, I want, I want to save a space. Can I meet you? Can we make a plan? And then we generally just formalise it at about 12 weeks moving forward. But I don't take clients at, like for just the birth or just the postnatal because that's not the model of care I work with. The safety in the model of care that I work with, particularly for home birth, is in the relationship. And if I haven't got time to establish that relationship, and have all those conversations and have that trust, then the safety of birthing at home with a midwife to me is not there if you don't have that relationship. So you can't do your job. So, no, no. And I, I think some women get a bit cranky and go, well, you just, you know, why won't you just take me? Why, why can't you just do the birth? I don't want you to do the internet. I just want you to do the birth. And I'm like, well, I don't, if I wanted to just do birth, I'll just go to the hospital and be yeah. the hospital midwife. You know, yeah. it's about the relationship. The safety is in the relationship and the continuity of care. Yeah, um, I can't agree more with you there. All right. Yeah. So, um, I I think we're going to wrap this up a little bit. We could talk forever, and I reckon we're going to do yeah. a follow up on this because I think it's so important to get this information out. Yeah. So, um, if well, I could... it'd be good if anybody's got any specific questions that they could yes. let you know, and then we can, you know, address them or talk more in detail about certain aspects if they want. Yeah. more information that sounds like a really good idea okay cool so thank you i'm so happy to be i'm just stoked I <laughs> um i can't wait to put this out there and get everyone listening to it and um where can people find you if they feel that you're the right one for them where would they contact you well, probably just look up my business website, which is Karmic Birth Services, if yep. they just look that up um, because there's if the, there's my number, but there's also a list of other midwives available that's on my website as well okay. and some different resources. Um, yeah, normally I'd say Facebook page as well for yep. Karmic Birth or the Midwives Centre, which is in East Fremantle. But, cool. again, that's not we're not kind of doing clinics at the moment just because of... Well, partly for that because we've run off our feet and we've got babies have been flying out everywhere. Mm. <laughs> March has been really busy. So sometimes we, we have great ideas of, you know, weekly clinics and sometimes that doesn't quite work because we're racing off catching babies and doing postnatals and stuff. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, have a look on the website. I mean, honestly, if you just Google private midwives in Perth, you'll find us. There's not that many of us. They're, they're kind of, you know, scattered around. There's some, a couple of us in the northern suburbs. I'm in western suburbs and then there's some in, you know, down in Frio and then there's some even down as far as Port Kennedy. There's um, independent midwives down in Bustleton and Dunsborough. So there's a few of us around in the state. Awesome. They'll find us. Yeah. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate your time, Naomi, and we will... You're welcome. It only, only took us a pandemic to make me stay home and have time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I videoed you too, but I'm not going to put the video out because you've made me... No, you <laughs> yeah, you can't video... You can't put the video out because I'm lolling around on my floor. <laughs> <laughs> In my right. pyjamas. In your pyjamas. Yeah, yeah. We won't... Yep. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> All right, darling, lovely to speak to you. I'll see you soon. All right, see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Revital Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Revital Health, as well as our website, revitalhealth.com.au, for upcoming podcasts, workshops, and speaking events. Find out about specials happening in the clinic and all the show notes and links mentioned in the podcast. Please remember that this information discussed here is general information and it is not intended to diagnose or treat individuals. Please speak to your healthcare professional before embarking on any new treatments, lifestyle changes, medicines or supplementation to assess your suitability. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you again soon.